Hello friends, welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. I'm your host, Laura. Please join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Yo, Gate, what's the word from the herd? Are you hip to the jive? Or in other words, what's up, my people? Can you dig it? Okay, so I'm probably never going to do that again, and that'll be a good thing. Today's topic is Kansas City Jazz. Now, everybody loves some kind of music, right? And you might be thinking, yeah, I love pop or hip-hop or rock and roll, but jazz is for really old people. It's boring. You can't dance to it, and no. Well, I beg to differ. If it wasn't for jazz, we wouldn't have pop or hip-hop or rock and roll. But we'll get to that later in the show. So yes, jazz is old. It's been around for over 100 years, and it has a really, really rich heritage. It's defined as a syncopated rhythm with a polymorphic ensemble and improvision. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, A syncopated rhythm or a mix of multiple rhythms... And polymorphic ensemble means it's a lot of instruments. Improvisation, hopefully you know what that means. It means you make it up as you go along. So if you're not a jazz fan, then you probably associate jazz with New Orleans, and that's it. That's the only thing you know about jazz. Maybe you recognize the name Louis Armstrong. Maybe. And if you are a jazz fan, then you know that that's not necessarily true. The jazz originated in a lot of places, One of them being Kansas City. Today, jazz is everywhere. During the height of the jazz age, Kansas City was known worldwide for the music it produced. Think of Motown or Nashville. Kansas City was the same in the 30s or 40s. Damn, that's hot, right? Well, we're just getting started. Alright, so we're going to go back in time for just a minute and place Kansas City in its historical context. There were four hubs of jazz in America, New Orleans, Kansas City, Chicago, and New York. Now, most scholars, um, even many jazz musicians, will tell you that jazz originated in New Orleans based on the diverse population from a long history of alternate waves of settlers, immigrants, and, of course, slavery. A lot of people will tell you that the roots of jazz is West African music brought to America by slaves and passed on to their children. I agree with this. I won't debate it. Actually, Eric Devins, and I hope I said your name right, um, from the A History of Jazz podcast has a wonderful discussion on the African roots of jazz music in his introductory episode, so I'm going to post the link to that in my show notes. But one of my sources argued against Narlins as the single origin point of jazz, and Pearson, the author, made a good point. Nothing ever manifests without outside influence. And based on the transient nature of musicians in the 30s and 40s, it actually makes more sense to say that jazz was formed in multiple places at about the same time by people traveling from one city to another and then bringing their music with them and sharing it with others in their new city. For example, the Theater Owners Booking Association, also known as TOBA, booked performances for bands and vaudevillians throughout the Midwest from Dallas to Denver to Chicago, uh, specifically 
black bands and vaudevillians. They were formed in 1909, and this is vital to the start of Kansas City Jazz because Kansas City is right in the middle of that area, and it was a major hub on the route between each of the other cities. By the 30s and 40s, jazz had become a mix of ragtime, vaudeville, circus and carnival music, brass band, and theater orchestra. In Kansas City, jazz developed a distinct sound known as swing. So it had a 4-4 rhythm. One, two, three, four. Maybe not that slowly. Um, with riffs and fluid soloists. The riff is the most defining feature of Kansas City Jazz. It's a short, repetitive phrase. Going to do a quick comparison. Here is some early jazz. That was Fireworks by Louis Armstrong from 1928. And here is some jazz from Kansas City. And that was Basie Boogie by Count Basie from the mid-1930s. So you can already see the difference between the two sounds. Kansas City versus everywhere else. Now, we absolutely cannot discuss jazz without at least mentioning Tom Pendergast. And here is another name that N native Kansas Cityans know very well. I am fascinated by this man. He's going to get it his own episode, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail right now. But the quick and dirty is this. Pendergast ruled the town. He said jump, and everybody else said how high. He came to power in the early 1920s, which is one of my favorite time periods in American history. World War I had just ended, and America was living its best life during the Golden Twenties or the Roaring Twenties. Think of Great Gatsby. I never read it, I know that's kind of a shocker, but I love the movie that came out a few years ago with Leo DiCaprio. And if you watch that or if you've read it, you kind of get a feel for America at the time. And of course, Prohibition started in 1920. If you live under a rock and never heard of Prohibition, or you slept through high school history, Prohibition grew out of the temperance movement. Temperance movement was the idea that all the evils of society could be traced back to the consumption of alcohol. So Prohibition made the creation and sale of alcohol outside of medicinal purposes illegal. But Americans really like their alcohol even back then. So, of course, this law just meant that everyone had to get creative as to how they continued to drink. And this created speakeasies because you had to speak easy, speak quietly. Okay, so bringing this all back to Kansas City. Under Tommy Boy, it's known as a wide-open town, meaning that bars were prominent. And there's actually as many as 200 clubs in the city at one time. And where you have a club, you have music, jazz. And where you have jazz, you have dancing. And where you have dancing, you have people getting tired and thirsty. And where you have thirsty people, you have alcohol. Okay, so it's all related. It's all mixed together. And as a wide open town, Kansas City doesn't have speakeasies because there's no need to hide. I'm a little bit disappointed about that, but 
it's okay. It's still a really cool time period and a really cool aspect of Kansas City history specifically. So in Kansas City, we have this historic district known as the Jazz District, and it's centered around 18th and Vine. This was a racially segregated neighborhood inhabited by, of course, blacks. Um, it was basically a little city within a city. It had residential housing, schools, churches, stores, anything they needed, and of course, a lot of jazz. Numerous nationally acclaimed musicians and bands came out of Kansas City. Jay McShane, Lester Young, Walter Page, Mary Lou Williams. But today I'm only going to focus on three that I believe created and cemented the Kansas City sound and propelled Kansas City to the national stage. That would be Benny Moten, Count Basie, and Charlie Parker. Moten was a Kansas City native born, uh, born in 1894. He created what's known as the two-beat stomp and became the foundation for Casey Swing. Nathan Pearson said, Among Kansas City musicians, the city, the style, and the era of its flowering are virtually synonymous with the Benny Moon Orchestra. So here is a song by Moton.
His band was called the Benny Moten Orchestra, and he filled it with the most talented people that he could find. Uh, they only ever made two recordings. They had a ton of songs, but they only ever recorded twice. I think there are two reasons for this. One is, you know, the industry is just getting started with recording. But also, I think Moten's focus was just not on recording. It was just on making the music and building the sound. His first recording was in 1923. This was actually one of the first recordings of jazz in the nation, and certainly the first jazz recording in Kansas City. And then the second one was in 1932, just three years before his death. So, Moten and his band had this gig up in Denver, right? But before they could even go and play, he had to have his tonsils removed and then died during the surgery. It was this, like, freak accident. It was He was not expected to die. It was a routine surgery. So his band returns to Kansas City, and they ended up splitting in two. One half was led by his nephew, Bus, and the other half was led by Count Basie, who had played piano in Moton's band. Moton himself was also a pianist, but once he got Basie on board, he moved less towards playing than towards directing. Well, Bus did not have what it took to keep the band together. Um, reports said that he just he was ill-tempered and not suited to the position. So most of them jumped ship and joined Basie. Now, Basie was born in 1904 in New York, and he learned to play piano from a man called Fats Waller. He joined a toba band run by Gonzel White in the mid to late 1920s, and then soon joined the Blue Devils out of Oklahoma in 1928. The Blue Devils were led by Walter Page, another jazz legend, and were Moton's biggest competition on the toba circuit. Moton actually poached a lot of his bandmates from Page. Basie was only with the Blue Devils for a few months before he joined Moton. And then, of course, when Moton died in 35, he took over the band and renamed it the Barons of Rhythm. Here is Basie's most famous song. It was recorded in 1937 called The One O'Clock Jump. It was also known as Blue Balls.
song went viral, y'all. Record producers heard it on the radio and they came to Kansas City in droves. A few months later, Basie signed with one of those producers and then he and his band moved to New York. By the way, he was a very handsome man with a nice, slightly mischievous smile. Photos will be on the website and social medias. Alright, so last we have Charlie Bird Parker. Um, Bird is his nickname, by the way. Not a middle name, just so you're not confused. Remember at the top of the show, I said that without jazz, we wouldn't have hip-hop or rock? That's all due to Charlie. He was another native Kansas Cityan. And he's actually kind of the favorite son of Kansas City Jazz today. He was born August 29th, 1920. And there are events celebrating him throughout the city for most of the month. Anyway, he brought his own twist to jazz and created the bop in the 1940s. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, earlier jazz was essentially diatonic, i.e. basing melodies and harmonies on traditional western major and minor seven-note scales, compromising five whole and two half-steps. Bebop took the harmonies of old jazz and superimposed them on substituted chords. It also broke up the metronomic regularity of the drummer's rhythmic pulse, and produced solos playing in double time with several bars packed into 16th notes. Okay, so for those who don't speak music, and although I played clarinet in middle school and high school, uh, that was a long time ago, I barely understood this myself. Basically, he put a twist on jazz and he sped it up a lot and created bop. So here's a recording by The Bird.
Other changes in jazz music in the 1940s were an attempt to return to the blues origins of jazz, and this created rhythm and blues, a.k.a. R&B. Okay, and that's another genre we still have today. In the 1950s, bebop turned into hard bop, which was a bit like blues and gospel mixed together. Also turned into West Coast jazz or cool jazz. This was influenced by Lester Young, Charlie Parker, and Miles Davis. Miles Davis, if you're not a jazz person, might be another name that you recognize. Uh, You might not know why you recognize it, but you might recognize it. So then, bop and R&B both morphed into rock and roll. And rock and roll, of course, changed to rock after the, quote, British invasion in the 60s. And split into multiple other genres from there. So there you go. We owe basically all of our modern music to jazz. Well, the national golden age of jazz and Kansas City's age of jazz fizzled out at the end of the 40s. Some of that might have been due to the stylistic changes in the music, but I think most of it was societal. Tom kept the city going while everyone else suffered during the Great Depression in the 30s. So it was actually World War II during the early 40s that started the decline of jazz in Kansas City. Most of the musicians joined the army or they were drafted. Plus, you had rations, um, specifically gas and rubber were strictly rationed, so people didn't travel, and the Toba booking slowed and eventually stopped. During the post-Golden Age of jazz, um, in my research it sounds like they struggled, but they did okay in the 50s. And then it almost died out in the 60s because all of the greats were either dead or they had retired to another city. Today, jazz is alive and strong in Kansas City again. We have the American Jazz Museum. It's a wonderful little museum on 18th Street in the Jazz District, naturally. It opened in 1997 and has a small performance space uh, slash bar attached to the exhibit space which hosts jazz musicians every weekend. It's called the Blues Room. Check it out sometime if you're visiting the city. Uh, Like I said earlier, Charlie Parker is basically celebrated all month long in August, and the Jazz Museum is a big part of that. There's also several nonprofits that work specifically to keep jazz music alive. All right, so real quick, let's do sources. I read a lot of books for this episode, guys, Um, so I'm only going to give you the ones that I enjoyed the most. The first is Going to Kansas City by Nathan Pearson Jr. He interviewed a lot of the old jazz musicians um, in the 60s and 70s, and so he has a lot of quotes from them about themselves, um, about their companions, and all the things that they saw and did, it was really cool. Next is a book called Kansas City Jazz from Ragtime to Bebop by Chuck Haddock. And this was very similar to the last book, very interesting. Then there's Jazz Style in Kansas City in the Southwest by Russ Russell. Uh, Maybe that's Ross Russell, I'm not sure how he pronounces it. It's a little bit older, but I think still had a lot of great information. And then at the very, very end of my research time, I found this book called Queering Kansas City Jazz, Gender Performance and the History of the 
scene by Amber Clifford Napoleon. Okay, I didn't go too deep into this because I was running out of time. Um, and I'm actually going to go back and read this for the next series that I'm going to do. But fascinating stuff in here about how the performers used conventional methods to express their non-conventional identities. Um, how that translated into space. Uh, it also talked a lot more about women in jazz. Um, this wasn't covered very much in the other books, and it's something I definitely want to delve into in the next series. And that is it. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend, rate, and review me on iTunes. The more people who give me a good rating, the easier it'll be for others to find me. You can find me online at homegrownkc.wordpress.com. My email is homegrownkcpodcast.gmail.com, and I'm all over social media as homegrownkc. For today's episode, you'll find links to the Jazz Museum, various jazz organizations and festivals in KC, a link to the Mars Sound Archive in Kansas City, and as always, you can subscribe to me on patreon.com slash homegrownkc and get additional bonus content. It's going to be lit, guys. Please follow me on that. Hey, a uh, quick announcement before I do my shoutouts. The next series will not debut until likely the end of February. It'll depend on how long it takes me to do the research. But it'll be titled Paris of the Plains, which was a nickname given to Kansas City in the... 1930s, I believe, um, because the city was so full of vice. So we will be talking about Prohibition, Tom Pendergast, and some other folks from that era. In the meantime, I do have two Patreon episodes, so please subscribe to Patreon to find those. One is an interview with Charles Haddix, who wrote one of the books which I used for this episode and works at the Mars Sound Archive. The other will be Ginger Rogers, who grew up here in Kansas City. Okay, so thanks goes to Sarah McCombs for the logo, to the Dear Misses for the use of their song Kansas City as the intro and outro music of the show, and last but not least, to Libraries. Thanks, everyone. See you soon. Seem to get you off my mind. Thought I lost my name.